to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Good morning. And as we begin, uh, as we sing that song, what a, what a wonderful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. We can sing that so easily, and it's familiar. We sing it. But let's go back and just look at that because we're in this chapter 2 of Acts and we see that this crowd of people had no idea what was going to happen that morning when they got up. Even Peter, he didn't go into this this sermon preaching and going, here's what I'm wanting to happen. They woke up, they, they, all this stuff happens. And then just, just imagine if they could have paused after 3,000 people fell on their faces and repented. If they could have had this song. Not, not that this song is the, the greatest song ever, or not that, that, that there's other hymns that aren't as good, but ju- just think if, if that room could sit there and sing after they just saw this happen, 10 minutes. So look at those words. Um, death could not hold you, because Peter goes to that. He goes into quoting um, David in this from Psalms, um, talking about the resurrection couldn't hold him down, that David saw that, and that hey, he even says, hey, David is still in the grave, and death could not hold you. The veil tore before you, your silence, the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory. Can you imagine the, the, the earthly feeling singing that song? What's going on in heaven as 3,000 souls uh, are, are just brought in? What, what's Satan and demons doing? You think about glory to God standing as this powerful one, as, hev- as the demonic thinks that they have, they have won, and then Jesus has risen from the grave, and they're confused, going crazy, like, this wasn't supposed to happen. And then 3,000 souls, the Holy Spirit falls, and, and just because of this, the heavens are roaring, the, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. And so then as Peter cries out that, you know, you have no rival, no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. And then that, uh, that, that main idea there that uh, what a beautiful name it is. No other name. What do, you, what do you think that would be like there in Acts chapter 2, just 10 minutes after 3,000 people Come to the Lord. No plan, no, no agenda, no even like, hey, I'd like to have a real powerful altar call. Like that wasn't even the thought, right? Like, oh, what just happened? Like I just told them that Joel and David told us this was happening. They heard that the powerful works of God, and now I'm clarifying that this was Jesus. This is what Joel was telling us. This is what David was saying, and you crucified him. And then God does this work. Just a beautiful thing. So as we get into that, I just thought, man, that's a beautiful, beautiful song for um, our um, uh, time this morning. Um, hope everyone's doing okay. Uh, we, everyone make it through daylight savings time. Is there, ever, everyone doing okay? Because, um, you know, there are some crazies out there. There's some crazies that, that you got to live around. You got to be around. Uh, some, they feel like that one hour of lost sleep, it, it, like, it affects every waking hour for the next six months. I mean, that, that one hour of lost sleep, it, it affects your life, your family. So pray for my wife. And so, uh, 
it's one of those prayer requests out there, a little bit of gossip along with prayer requests. So uh, it's my favorite day because we get a little more sunlight and everything. I was even going to share with one of the boys like, yeah, like it's like four or five minutes more sunlight. Plus you get this hour boost and now it's even longer every day. And they're like, yeah, I love that. And I was like, you know, your mom hates that. And so I was just thrown under the bus. So um, uh, it is a great day. Um, so we're going to be looking at uh, Acts chapter 2. If you want to turn there, we'll have some slides up there also. But if you want to open your device or phone or uh, have an uh, old-fashioned uh, paper book, um, we're going to be looking at Christ's salvation that's applied to souls. So I title it that way. You could say, you know, the church is born or whatever. But where do you want to put the, where do you want to put the emphasis? And I want to put the emphasis that this was God's work, Christ's salvation just applied to souls. These people didn't come in there thinking that was what was going to happen. And so if we took a thought exercise, let's take a couple of minutes and just think through a thought exercise. I've done this even with college students in several different places. Um, we've done this at our former church, and I did it at another church. And it's fun in a room where you've got a whiteboard and you can kind of do this. But if we were to go, hey, let, let's, let's have this one thought exercise. So think of like a, a business school or something like that, a business class. And, and here's the project. It, it's a test. And it's a pass or fail. You get one chance. It's not, you know, five or six tests or lots of homework. It's pass or fail. Um, and the one test is this, building a successful church. Your goal in your project is to build a successful church. So if we had a whiteboard, we, we could start thinking through. So what do we need to do to build a successful church? Um, first of all, Start the, the process of brainstorming, thinking through there. To be successful, we will need dot, dot, dot. To be successful, we will need, and, and let me just give you a hint. A lot of churches think through that every week. Church staffs get together, pastoral staffs, teams, strategists, all the things. What do we need to do to build a church? And so, man, first of all, just think through people. Um, how do we get people here? How do we get people to start coming so, so that's one question that people can ask. Uh, is that the, the biggest question? Is that the most important question? For some people, it may be. Um, what about uh, our own people, the leaders? Hey, if we're a business class, hey, we, we need to figure out what, what kind of leader are people looking to? Do people want someone who's very just very um, academic and very clear communicative? Do they want someone that's really, really dynamic and like those people that just their, their, um, their, their, their scale of uh, ability is just phenomenal out there? And so do we want this dynamic, powerful leader? Do we want um, something, someone that's, um, people are just drawn to them. You see those type of leaders out there that people just, they'll follow them. They'd fall them off a cliff. Um, what about uh, the, the dynamic worship team? So that'd be a big one. For some people, that'd be first, wouldn't it? Probably like, hey, worship team, what, what does that look like? Um, man, we need these type people. Like we need Nashville people leading our worship. Um, plus the, the aesthetics. People love music, so it must be the best. Uh, what kind of ambiance do we want um, to have? What, what do people want? Do they want an emotional and, and experiential, where there's kind of this experiential feeling? Um, do they want it lively and entertaining where you just feel like you're walking in to just a concert or, or some sort of uh, powerful experience every time? Like it really feels like something powerful is happening. happening. And now a good question to ask in that is, was that really supernatural or was that manufactured just my, my own feelings or this band's feelings or this person's uh, manipulation sometimes? But is it lively and entertaining it, it, or is it more somber and contemplative? What do people want is the question a lot of times. To get people, you ask, 
What do people want? And that, if you want to really step back, that's a good question. Is, is that really what we're asking? What do people want? Is that where you start? And what if that becomes your 90% question or your 95 or 98? What do people want? Because another question is, what, what has God shown us that this is his way? That, that, that's a different question sometimes is, what do people want or what does God want? So you got to think through pastoral staffs, uh, this business class. What, what do people want? Um, the building, is it cool and hip? Uh, how important is the look and the feel? Do they have those cool couches? Um, lots of uh, big flat screens, modern flat screens. Uh, the, we, this is high to us. So, this, so we have the, one of the biggest flat screens that we could possibly have. So uh, this is probably why all the people are drawn in. Just We have a really nice one huge flat screen, a really big paramount for us. Um, what kind of programs, classes? Uh, is it really engaging and, and inviting? Is it friendly? Um, and so one more tiny bit of information you need to know they are all non-believers. This whole class is all non-believers. So um, none of the class are followers of Christ. Would it be possible for people getting together and to come up with and answering those questions and strategizing and to come up with the right answers and methods to build a successful church with little or no input at all from God? Would that be possible in our day? So just think through that. Um, by the way, the book of Acts, so none of those things that I just listed out there, they're, they're not even on, the, they're not even on the, the list of things that they're looking for. Maybe the leader, but not necessarily dynamic, but just like if God has called a leader up there. But just think through that whole list that we would prioritize and go, this is what's important. You're not going to see that in the whole book of Acts, none of those things make it on the list. And that, that doesn't mean that that's bad. Like, you know, do you want a crummy parking lot to meet in? Or do you want a, a building like the Mac that we meet in? Or even a better thing, like it has a, a better seeing. That doesn't mean those other things are bad or having nice lights and having flat screen. That's not bad. But if that becomes the 90% and no time begging and praying and pleading with the Spirit to change souls, to change us inside and to reach those outside, we've got a missed idea there. So just know that the book of Acts is probably not going to hit on those. And so at the end of today's passage, we're going to see 3,000 souls saved the church is born, so a beautiful situation. And they, they didn't even have Wi-Fi. Um, they didn't have live streaming. Um, you had to actually be there with the people. And so that was a, a kind of different. No websites, um, no Mardells with the cool clothes and the cool belts and the, the cool bracelets and stuff. And so um, that none of those things. And so Jesus says, I'm going to send my spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to come, and you're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so we're seeing this rolled out, and they're going to get an understanding of what Jesus meant there. Um, so last week and this week, um, we're kind of looking at these. We had two kind of points that I brought last week. This is kind of the, the, the three things this week. But the first one is um, Acts 1-8 is happening. The Holy Spirit's going to come in power. You're going to be my witnesses first here in Jerusalem. Remember, that's the town you didn't want to be tied to Jesus on because he just got killed 40 days ago, 50 days ago. And so uh, Jesus' promise is coming true. There, there is, uh, and the power about that is Jesus was God, Emmanuel, come to us. Now he's ascended after the cross and resurrection, and now he left. He ascended to heaven, and the powerful thing is God with us. I'm sending the Spirit. So as the Father sent the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, and the Spirit sends the church. 
And so beautiful pictures there. And so I'm going to be with you to the end of the age, is what he said at, at the uh, Great Commission. So the first thing there is that Acts 1-8 is happening. Luke has purposely shown us this is what this looked like for traction to happen. The second thing is we're going to see this pattern, this ongoing pattern through the book of Acts, gathering and scattering. The church gathered and the church scattered. Now, in the middle of that, between gathering, scattering. The, the reason for the gather, gathering that happens was what we would call now worship services. The point was the proclamation of the gospel. So for the first 1,200 years of the church, they would say three things had to happen. Three things. If you're a true church, again, that whole list of things we talked about at the beginning, that was not considered. But what they said was, number one is the proclamation of God's word, the proclamation of the gospel. So all of God's word being taught pointing to Jesus and his cross. Um, so the, the proclamation of the gospel, number one, you can be a church. Number two, the right handling of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, that was a way of guarding. Hey, lost people, don't partake of this. You need to consider Christ. You don't understand the blood in his body if you take that lightly. And you're still going to keep on sinning. You're probably not a believer. So we're going we're we're to protect the table, and they called it guarding the table. Don't come. Believers, you need to really consider where your heart is at with Christ today, this week. And you failed and you blew it this week. Maybe you need to partake in rejoicing that it's not based on that. It's another reminder that, man, I don't get to just go on sinning, but he will even cover that no matter how bad I've blown it this last week. That it's, uh, my identity is based in Christ and his righteousness. I'm forgiven. My identity is in him. And so uh, the Lord's Supper, baptism, a true understanding of that. And the third one is church discipline, ongoing church discipline. Not like the last step of church discipline, like, hey, Mike, come on up here. Um, church, we've been praying for him for a lot of months, and we're telling him he's out of the church now. Not the last step, but ongoing church discipline, as in sitting, talking with friends and going like, ah, yeah, I just don't know if Jesus really did rise from the grave. Well, oh, hey, no, there's lots of proofs, like these eyewitnesses. Let's go into the New Testament and see how many times, hundreds of times, that they said, we know for sure. So, so you're, you're, you're countering her heresy there. So that's church discipline, where we're correcting people lovingly. And so those three things were considered, that's um, the, the purpose of the church. And that's what the church was known for, for like 1,200 years. And so uh, Mark Dever has some good things. He has nine marks that he would say that this is what the church needs to consider as some healthy things. And he's a really good quality control guy for the church. So some really good things to think through. But um, we're seeing here a gathering together, the proclamation of God's word, and then scattering with God's word to the places where you work and live and play into your communities and neighborhoods. And then um, as we see this week, we're going to see uh, what Peter wants to make very clear. And Luke is showing Peter doing this, that you missed it. This Jesus is Messiah. This Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. He is Messiah, Lord, and Savior, and you crucified him. Joel told us this. David told us this. You've seen some of these proofs with your own eyes, and that's what we're going to see this week. So kind of the story is just, it's a long section, but it's, the storyline's pretty simple. He goes to the event that happened, which is the Holy Spirit happening uh, there in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2. But So God's pouring out of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the event, but need, now we need some explanation. Notice this, that the event, and when those, those people say, hey, we heard them speaking in languages, the works of God, no one got saved. 
So remember we learned that it wasn't the gift of tongues that happened in chapter 2. It was actually God giving this supernatural ability of them to speak in languages that already existed in different areas, in different uh, people groups, in different nations. And so they heard the works of God in their own language and said, hold it, those are uneducated Galileans. They would not know our language, but they're telling us the works of God. Stop, period. No one got saved. It took... Peter stepping up, pointing to that and and bringing to it the the clarification of the gospel. All of that, all these works of God points us to Jesus and his cross. Salvation is in no other name than Jesus. So people didn't get saved just because they heard about the works of God. It took the gospel and the Holy Spirit coming and and opening their eyes spiritually. So, So it's a beautiful thing to kind of slow down and know. So that was the event that takes the explanation, the gospel message, and then you see the result. People are saved. Um, so there, I have some outline notes up there, just kind of the breakdown of uh, the verses there in chapter 2, from 2 to about 41. We're going to cover uh, 14 through 41. So um, you can look on that, and I think Andy even has those on Slack. Um, but um, remember last week we saw this, the gospel in the kingdom this movement, different nations. So, uh, and I had up there just that, that slide that has, if you remember from last week, these are all the nations that were up there. Remember these? The Parthians, uh, the Medes, the Elamites, and, uh, the, the, those from Mesopotamia, from Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, uh, belonging to Cyrene, from Rome, uh, from Crete, and from uh, the Arabian nations, so several places. And so remember, we looked at those slides of what that looked like. I had three. This is what this looked like. So it wasn't just uh, uh, for us. Sometimes we just we go through the book of Acts, and we're not thinking about the traction on the ground. Think what this looked like. So we had the slides of this map of what this looked like. It was all those people that we just read about in that one little section. They were coming from all those places. There were some people that lived there in Jerusalem. But remember, this: they come for Passover, and they come for Pentecost, and then they went back home. And this is the 3,000 people that were gathered, and they heard this. Now they hear the gospel from, from Peter, and they spread back to these places. So we got to see, oh, that, 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 those are places. And then the next slide shows some more places where the gospel was gaining traction. And then one more slide just showing this is what this looked like early on. From God's perspective, man, I'm going to get worship from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. And this is 50 days after Jesus rose from the grave. Do you see the power in that? Do you see the beauty in that? And so um, that's what we get to look at here. So from God's perspective, um, it's not just about just us reading the book of Acts and gaining knowledge. It's about gospel traction that we would be in more worship and awe of what he's doing. Because notice Oklahoma's not on here. It took this many years to get the gospel to, to people like us, the furthest parts from the world. So the grace of God on our lives. Just think through the, the sheer grace that God in his plan, when he, when he said that in Acts 1.8, that that had you and me in mind. So that's just a beautiful thing. So let's read there uh, chapter 2, um, 12 through 41. And I'm, the reason I'm covering 12 is because this, it ended last week with them asking that question. Um, you know, what does this mean? So verse 12, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, said, they're just filled with new wine. So we'll pick up there with Peter answering that. And he says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. 
But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So his first evidence is, you guys know Joel is a famous prophet of our people. And he quotes Joel. And in the last days, so important word there, in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand and I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. But therefore a prophet... Um, sorry, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So, Father, we are amazed at your plan. We're amazed at the mystery of centuries and centuries of um, rituals and um, exercises and feasts and Sabbaths, um, and not one person would be saved through any of that. Through Moses' law and the Ten Commandments, not one person being saved. Uh, through great moral aptitudes and great... Um, pursuits of trying to follow you, not one person would be saved. But through Christ and his atonement, through Christ and his suffering on the cross, taking on our sin, you 
opened the way for us to be reconciled. You provided in his body, in his death, in his resurrection, the approved sacrifice. And so we're amazed that you would do this, that you would save even one person, Lord. So we thank you for that. We pray that you would let us worship you more as we see this beautiful gift of salvation in this passage. In your name we pray, amen. So um, just seeing the first thing there, um, Luke's intent again is he wants to connect the Holy Spirit that just fell, and in chapter 2, what we just read, the event, when the Holy Spirit comes and falls, and then these people speak the mighty works of God in these different languages, he's going to connect that, the Holy Spirit coming in power, and them being Jesus' witnesses. Remember, guys, Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and now look what happened. Uh, this is what God was telling us was going to happen. Let me give you some evidences. Joel, David, you know these prophets. Um, these were some of our most esteemed prophets. This Jesus is Lord and Savior and Messiah. It's the one we've waited for. So th- this powerful, supernatural working of the Spirit um, has purpose of regenerating new life. And that, that they didn't understand the way that that was going to happen. Even when Jesus was on the earth, think about when Jesus was around the crowds. Um, You didn't see him do this huge altar call, and then the Holy Spirit come, and just people drop down like that. So so this is kind of new. This wasn't planned, but this is how God worked it out. It was a mystery. So here is Peter, this first time of this being lived out. You're going to be my witnesses. So they had spoken in different tongues, the, the, the works, these languages, but now it was specific and pointing right to Jesus and his cross. Um, so a beautiful picture there. Um, and he's clarifying. He's connecting dots to Jesus. And they didn't know how people are going to respond. Again, he wasn't thinking, at the end, I'm going to have this altar call. Um, what happens? He's telling them this stuff. You crucified him. And they say, what, 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 must, we be, what must we do to be saved? So there's just this idea that that wasn't even um, available to them of of what we know in the church as heavy altar calls or whatever. So um, what we see here is he's going to go into two parts of Joel's prophecy. And so uh, Joel's prophecy that that you notice there, it has two parts. The first one just occurred for them. So let's look at that one. Um, The first one, in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So that that happened. They just saw that. It's easy to see, oh, that's all these people gathered from the different places, plus the ones who dwell and live in Jerusalem, and the ones who had had been dwelling there for a few days, and were going to travel back to their homelands, um, they just saw the Holy Spirit fall, and they were able to speak... The, in their own languages, those things. But the key thing there that he starts out with, the reason Peter goes to this, in the last days. The reason that's significant, all the Jews, when you say in the last days, they immediately went, that equates Messiah. In the last days, Messiah is going to come. Why, why, remember how many times the disciples keep asking him, hey, 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 bud, cool stuff you're doing. Are you ready to restore your kingdom? Because I, I, like, I, I'm ready. Like, I'm ready for you to restore the kingdom. You know, and so all the time they keep just going, hey, Jesus, I'd love for you to bring your military forces in because I'm kind of sick of this. Like, I understand we're being nice. We're being humble. We're not eating much. We're, we're sharing truth with people. We're doing some miracles. But really, that's all cool. But can you bring your kingdom? Kind of like us, right? That, that's, that's kind of what we want, like, whether it's with government or politics or uh, socioeconomic stuff. We're like, hey, Jesus, we, we know what you did. We know all the cool stuff you worked out for us, but hey, could you really let my life just be a lot better? He's going, did you understand about following me? Have you, have, have you understood about what following me looks like? And so you've got two little paradigms there. And so um, he, he goes into this saying, the last days, meaning, hey, this is what would have been prophesied all this time. So this was big in our day. 
If, if churches put up, I remember when we were in Tahlequah, there's a church on the bypass, and they had this huge banner. I mean, it's, it's 200 feet long. It's like end time study starting now. I bet they had 300 extra people, just end time study, you know, and so people just want to know. And so same thing for them. When he says in the last days, God declares this, that was going to attract some attention. Um, those last days, um, they understood it as not only the coming of the Messiah, but they were, gonna, they were also expecting judgment. Joel's book is a lot about judgment. In the middle of that book, there's still, uh, here are all these judgments that's going to come on you, Israel, but also I'm going to leave light for, for reconciliation. I'm going to leave room for renewal and restoration to happen. But the book's mainly about judgment. So if you knew Joel as a Jew, and then he goes and quotes Joel and brings up the last days, you're going to start listening. Peter and the disciples and the early church, even for the next 30 to 60, probably over 100 years, people still every day were thinking, is he coming in the clouds today? That, that was passed around a lot. That was, that was their thinking was, is he coming out? So when Peter says, in the last days, they're all like, okay, get ready. Is he coming now? Peter was probably thinking um, this could happen. There are some things that Jesus said kind of cryptically that probably led them to believe this could happen like, you know, any time. So that was normal. Um, so the first thing that he, he brings out is this, this idea that you're, I'm going to pour out my spirit, but also your sons and daughters are prophesying. To prophesy is not about speaking, about guessing about the future or predicting the future. It's proclaiming and testifying to something that we know is truth. So that's what he's saying. So that's, when people would prophesy, you, you better be saying what lines up with God's word. That's what prophecy is. Because the, the whole thing was, if you say some stuff that God's doing this or God is doing this and, and, and it doesn't happen, then you're a false prophet immediately. And sometimes it's a bad case, like let's pick up stones. He's a false prophet. So what prophesying here was testifying, and now it become very specific about testifying about Jesus. You're going to be my witnesses. And, and Jesus said that's what's going to happen. So um, all of that leads to those things. And so that had all happened there. Uh, some, some young men seeing visions, old men seeing dreams. You're going to see that in the book of Acts even. Even on my male servants and female servants. So in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So all peoples, all different ages, all different classes, all nations. That was this understanding of what was happening right then in, in the book of Acts. Now, let's go to part two. Then it gets to this part that we haven't seen yet. Um, so notice he, he still quotes him and he says, in the day of the Lord, in the future. Here's this list of things before the day of the Lord. Look in verse, what is it? verse 20 there. It says, uh, when the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord. So let's go back to 19. And, I, and Joel, this is the second part of Joel's um, prophecy. He said, I will show you wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. Now you're talking specifically about the very last judgment day. That was understood. The day of the Lord was always talked about as in judgment, but then there was a specific day of the Lord where all those are separated, those who would be going to heaven, those who would be going to hell. And so he's talking specifically about that. And so it's um, speaking clearly, and they would have understood that very easy. So and so we look at these things, what makes those different? Well, the first one they had just seen, um, the, these people prophesying, different people's prophesying, but now the second one had not occurred yet. Um, there are some people that would try to say, so when the veil was ripped and, and the, there's a darkness that come over, but most scholars agree this is not talking about the time of the cross, this is talking about a future time. 
And so um, let's look here, and I can't spend time on these, but I'll just reference them. But there's these wonders, these signs, this blood, this fire, this smoke. Um, that's still in the future. So look at Matthew 24. I have it up there. If you know Matthew 24 is a, a big time when Jesus is kind of foretelling about the, the end times. And he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days... So think that. So the tribulation period of those days. So now you're bringing in your different views of eschatology, right? Your end times views. Um, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. Now, that's a freaky scene. Like, you know how you see like one star fall and you're like, oh, that's really cool. 10,000? Now, now with technology, we can see how many. What if a whole bunch, like a million start falling? You don't just go, oh yeah, hey, give me a, give me a milk. You know, like you don't just do that. Like so, that kind of stuff starts happening. That's crazy. And so, this is future time. This is so end times. There will be this. This will be visible for for the earth. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. So something's going to happen. The sign, but then also all tribes of the earth will mourn because they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So some powerful scenes that, that Peter says, hey, that this future time, the, the day of the Lord, right before the day of the Lord, that's going to happen. There's some other, I have some revelation that verses up there that talk about, um, and some, like in verse, this is Revelation 8, verse 5, the angel took the censer and filled it with fire. So this kind of censer on this stick, he filled it with fire, and it says, and from the altar, and he threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, thunder rumblings, uh, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So literally this picture of this angel taking something and throwing at the earth. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, uh, that, that's kind of terrifying, you know? Like, and so the deal is, when, when you read this and you see these things, and those people were identified with Joel's understanding, now you understand why it means so much when he says in verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So even with these horrific things going on, there's this reality. If you're calling on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. So now it plays into your eschatology, your end times views. Are you, are you saying that, um, you know, that believers as the church that we're going to go through some years of tribulation and we're going to be on the earth and that's going to happen? Or do you believe that you know, some believers are going to be taken out? Or do you believe that, um, that it's just going to be ongoing? Things are going to get worse? There's a big movement right now. It's uh, all millennial that would say that you know, things are going to get better that, that, that as Christians can isolate off and we can kind of build the kingdom of heaven on the earth and it's going to get better and better and better and better. And so even in the northwest part of the U.S., there's a growing movement of that. Uh, just this idea that, that we're, going to, we're, we're finally going to clean ourselves up and now we're going to start making the world, the kingdom of God, happen on the earth. And so it depends on your end times views. So Peter reminded them, Joel told us about that. And then he goes into the next part where he, he just goes in, he goes into this preaching of Christ and him crucified, um, this explanation of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so look in verses 22 through 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, and God did it right in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus... He was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him. And so some powerful things there to think through. Um, first of all, he's done all these works right in front of you. And, and this needs to be the, the focal point, the focal message of any church of any time period. Uh, you can't get into the, the, the 
2020 and beyond and go, that message is not as important. Now the main message is, well, what is my life going to be like? Or where do I find meaning and purpose? That, that, man, your identity in Christ, and this is what the focal message has to be. Um, so the church gathered. This must continue to be the central message. All passages of Scripture pointing to Christ and his cross. Um, us growing and being equipped, the body of Christ. But all that comes through what? Gospel growth. Um, never graduate Christ's gospel and turn it into our works. Um, it doesn't mean that every um, um, sermon has to be John 3.16, and you get to John 3.16. Now, you know, bow your heads, close your eyes, repeat this after me. But that everything, every message is, is, is going to the cross of Christ, being fulfilled in Christ and his cross. Um, any transformation should be conformity to Christ and should come through the power of the Spirit, what we've just seen, working with the Word, there's where transformation happens. Now, what do we want to do? We want to use some of man's psychology or uh, even just man's desire to be more, um, be more fulfilled or more purposeful. And so there's this uh, strong individualism in, in the U.S. that's been around for a long time. Uh, and so in that, now you're this individualized self, this self-fulfilled person, and salvation can apply to that. And that wasn't what they were doing. Now, now will you as an individual stand before God? Yes, but his whole purpose was not for your glory and your self-fulfillment. It was for his glory. You will be humbled at the cross, just, just amazed at grace. And so for the church scattered, this must be our main message. So not only is the gospel and Christ and his cross, everything that grows us inside the church, you're dealing with sin, you're struggling. So, so let's go to real practical, just uh, where the rubber meets the road. You, you got a temptation or you've seen this pattern Monday, Tuesday, this pattern, a temptation Monday, two or three times, a Tuesday, two or three times, and now you're really feeling like you're going to fall. So what do you do? You preach the gospel to yourself. Hey, God, I just confess to you, um, part of me wants to be strong enough just to not do that. I, I'm not. I'm not strong. I'll fall. So I'm crying out to you that, I, first of all, that doesn't have control over me anymore. Jesus rose from the grave. I'm free from that. And so I'm preaching the gospel that he rose from the grave. I'm dead to those sins. That sin and temptation was put to death. I don't have to live that. I'm choosing grace on the front end instead of having to ask forgiveness after I fall. So I'm preaching the gospel myself saying, would you give me righteousness that I don't have? Here's the lie. That will make me happy. And that's a lie. You are where glory and happiness come. And so I'm asking for you to fill me right now. I need more of the Spirit. I need your righteousness because I want to go and do sin and I'm, I want to repent from even that and turn from that and turn to you. Will you help me right now? Preaching the gospel to ourselves. That's how we grow. And now you go, wow, I made it through Wednesday and Thursday and didn't fall into that. I praise you, God. I worship you more because I just experienced you growing my heart. I, I, I have greater affections for you. So that's inside the church. Outside the church, what do they need? They need people coming and living that out and then taking them the gospel. So the gospel's for us inside the church. The gospel's for those outside the church. So we, so we have this great, um, uh, beautiful picture here. It's no accident. Notice what he says there. Um, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So two things there. Definite plan and foreknowledge. God purposely set up every single situation, every single person to where those people, Pilate, Herod, all those chief priests all come together. The crowd who like, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, highest, crucify him. We hate him. And, you know, just five days later. And so all those people set up by the definite plan of God. No way this was not going to happen. Hey, hey, I'll take out my sword. You can't have Jesus. 
Let me heal his ear. Uh, Peter, shut up. Uh, this is going to happen. Uh, the, the, the plan of God is, is being um, revealed. It had to happen. And in that, um, God did not sin. God says, you shall not murder. And God set it up to where God himself was murdered. Huge mystery. Huge mystery. So how does that work out? And so God does it in a way where every single person, their ruthless hate and anger and murder in people's hearts, it led them to want to crucify Jesus. Some of which were the, these very people in this town that were there cheering that on and, you know, free Barabbas, crucify him. And now Peter says this, you crucified him. And they go, what shall we do? I realize that. Well, that's me and you. They're not worse than us. I might have been there also, uh, you know. Uh, and so, so that's us. And, and look at God's grace and mercy. Even if you were the one of the ones that did that, it's a great mystery to me. Why, you know, I mean, everyone thinks of Judas as such a bad deal. He, he did it for a little bit of money, right? Peter did it three times. Me and you. How many times have we done it? And so just think through that. So like we kind of create the bad guys and good guys, but look at God's grace on our lives. And all this by the determined plan of God, yet God is in no way sinning. It was his purpose and plan. He had to bring out the cross. So um, then Peter goes into David. He just quotes, I'm going to cover, I'll go into it real deep, but uh, David said, um, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, all these things. And he says, verse 27, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. So now David goes from talking to God the Father. You got to catch this. This is messianic uh, prophecies. And so what this is, is when a writer is writing, and then all of a sudden, the writing applies to that person, and, and we can kind of like, you know, get an interpretation. But it's also a messianic uh, message that uh, is speaking specifically about Jesus. So the whole psalm is not necessarily speaking specifically, but this goes into this and he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. He's talk Now David is talking almost third person about Jesus saying, Father, you're not going to allow me to go to Hades. Um, you will not let my soul see corruption. You see that in Isaiah, same idea. So now David is prophesying. So David's a, a prophet, he's a priest, and he's a king. And so he's prophesying that, and he's saying, this is what happens. My soul will not go to Hades. You will let, not let your Holy One see corruption. And then he quotes that famous Psalm 1611. You have made known to me the path of life. Some people would even say that Jesus' resurrection, the reason that Peter quotes this and in Psalm 1611, which is one that I use a lot, is that he was saying that David would sing, almost like not that he saw Jesus rise from the grave, but he had an understanding of resurrection. So I, I don't know if you want to go there. Some scholars say that. You may known to be the path of life. It's following Jesus. That's the path of life. That's what that it was going to be revealed. So some beautiful stuff there. Um, this was God's sovereign plan and purpose, purpose revealed fully now for the first time. They had not connected those dots before. They had not had the powerful working of the Spirit like that. No one ever was saved through sacrifices, through temple visits, through the blood of bulls and sheep. No one was ever saved through keeping Moses' law. Not one person. Not one Israelite, not one Jew was saved through those sacrifices. The blood of bulls and goats, trying to keep the Old Testament law, never saves. The whole book of Galatians talks about it. Much of the New Testament is spent trying to show some of the Jews and Gentiles, you don't, it's not about going by those things, it's, it's what saves you. It's by Christ and his cross. It's another gospel if you, if you go the other way. This Jesus was crucified and slaughtered by the loving, sovereign will of his Father, 
Because you cannot earn salvation, and, and 10 billion souls would not be able to um, propitiate and take on the wrath of God. 10 billion souls would not be enough for God's holy standard. Um, it took Jesus taking on the wrath of God. So Jesus, holy God in the flesh, was the only worthy sacrifice that would satisfy God's wrath. And so now Peter goes into, so you've got that, you just crucified him. All the, the, the Old Testament talked about the, this judgment coming. And you know what the resurrection was? It was stamp of approval by God saying, I accept Jesus' death. It's my stamp of approval, and, and that death is not going to conquer sin. I mean, death is not going to conquer Jesus. Jesus arose, and I accept his salvation. I accept his propitiation, and that is your salvation. So some beautiful stuff there. Um, death on the cross substituted for us, and resurrection is God's proof and acceptance. And that's what Peter goes into this. He's, this is what Joel talked to us about. This is what David was telling us. And so his evidence is, 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 is a statement like this. If our hero David is still in the grave and Jesus resurrected and is alive, who's our hero? Who's David's hero? It's Jesus. That's who he was pointing to. So he uses that to say, you all worship David and think David's the great one and they're waiting for this Messiah to take his throne. It's Jesus. You missed it. And so in verses 29 through 35, he says, Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, he's both, he has both died and was buried, and his tomb's still with us. He's still dead and buried, but Jesus is alive. And so some beautiful things that he brings out. Um, and as he gets to the end, after Jesus builds to this powerful closing to the message, his intent for the crowd was to consider, if this Jesus is the Christ that I've just connected Joel and David in two different sections to, and all these things testify to that being true, you just killed your Messiah. You just killed the one you're waiting on. So right here in town, we've got Jewish groups all over in the Northeast. They're, they're still awaiting a Messiah. They're still waiting for God to send their Messiah. They, they've looked over Jesus. And what, what does Romans tell us? And what does the New Testament tell us? That God allowed a hardness to settle on the Jews' heart, a blindness and a hardness to where they wouldn't see. And he grafted in the Gentiles. He brought life to all of us that are not Jew. And so just a beautiful picture of God's grace. Um, in 36, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter equates Jesus as Messiah and Lord and Christ, the one that you crucified. So what happens? What's the result? Um, remember, we started out with the business class idea. Do we really believe that this is how the church grows internally? and externally? Do we really believe that it's based upon this Holy Spirit doing this work? Um, Peter's preaching again in verse 37. Now when they'd heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest, brothers, what shall we do? Again, not a plan. Peter didn't know that. So, so here's us living our life, faithful gospel presence, just being a faithful gospel presence. You don't know what God's going to do. 
You, you look at people like Matt Chandler or John Piper or um, Tim Keller or some of those. You look at some of the missionaries that we, we don't know their name because they're not concerned about being on magazines or books right now, but they're overreaching and, and planting seeds and planting seeds and planting seeds. 10 years, 15, 20 years, two, three, four converts. And then all of a sudden, this Arab guy who was a Muslim raises up and he, he's just some young 11-year-old kid who sees their life and gives his life to Christ. And then he becomes like a, a, a Paul in our modern day. And who, who's doing that? It could be some kids sitting right here today. It could be people around your workplace that they're 42 and they're killing it as a, you know, working for, for the money and working for all these things. And you're just a faithful gospel presence and God wants to use their life. So it's not some strategy of finding the powerful people and the influencers and trying to reach them. It's you being faithful. And in fact, it's looking at the ones that are overlooked and marginalized and being so concerned about them and thinking through that and going, God, would you just send more of your spirit? Would you please give more of your spirit for my own sanctification and growth? But also, would you use this to powerfully grow? Because we see in Acts 2 that this is where gospel and kingdom start getting traction. Um, and so, what shall we do? And Peter says very clearly, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. Notice what happens. 3,000 people get saved. They receive the Holy Spirit. Do they all speak in tongues? Remember we talked about some places say, well, if, if you receive the Holy Spirit then, then you're, and you're saved, then you have to speak in tongues. It didn't happen at all. So right, stage one, step one, that didn't happen that way. And remember what I said about when he goes into a new threshold, a new area without the gospel, signs and wonders happen to attract attention to then the gospel message going out. So the point is not the sign or the wonder or the tongues. It, it's to draw attention to the message of the gospel every time. Go through the book of Acts. You can just see it. It's fun to look at that. Um, so for us, when you lay open God's word for people, the Holy Spirit has the opportunity to break open their hearts, to cut them to the heart. I mean, I, I'm surrounded. I've never been at this place where I'm surrounded by such successful, powerful, um, just, just brilliant people that are just so gifted in, in things that they do. And I have nothing. My, my dress, my intellect, uh, my work, my career, my family, my kids, my cars, my house, nothing, nothing, nothing to show them, hey, maybe you should listen. So all I can do is sit with them and try to get into talking about heart. Where, where's your, I, I see all that. Now, I, I see the houses. I see that. You're, you're so good at that. Let's, I believe you're actually probably pretty scared. I believe that everyone looks at you and you, you feel big in the room and you feel this powerful. But I believe it's just me and you. I believe that there's some scared weakness there. And you feel like a failure a lot. And you really don't feel like you're doing the greatest and loving your wife and loving your children. And your need is not for me to give you three points on how to do that better. Your need is Christ and Him crucified. You need more of the Spirit. You need more faithfulness to Christ. You need more faithfulness to your wife. You know, faithfulness to your family and faithfulness to the people around that God may use you for his kingdom. That's all I have to offer them. Nothing. It's miserable because you, you, you can't ever walk away like, ah, that really worked out good. <laughs> but, but just going every time, driving there, talking with it, and then driving away, going, Holy Spirit, if you don't do anything, there's nothing. That, they think I'm a shabby, stupid, ignorant, like, why, why? if you're any good, why don't you lead a huge church? That's where the money's at. That's where success is at. Man, what do we talk about first? How do you build a successful church? 
You have to put your rest and trust in the gospel message. You have to put your rest and trust in your identity. And I just want to be faithful to what you've laid in front of me. Not what I, what I think would be good or what I think this would be powerful. Just hey, if you don't come and blow on this. Um, we've been watching Survivor, and that fire, that they sit there and skin these things and skin these things, if that fire doesn't come, there's, no, there's nothing. And so that's all we're trying to do as a gathering. Just, just putting some little um, hay and stubble together. And Holy Spirit, if you don't come and bring fire and change hearts, there's nothing. And so you see this powerful picture, learning how to present God's word to people in your own life. Trusting not in your own strength or capacity, your influence, but, but instead asking him to bring conviction of your own heart. He brings the desire for change and repentance and transformation for those people around you. A new softened heart. And uh, when, when he says this, there's a little confusion here. Just have to clarify in case people are listening. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So this wording and four to five other places has led many people to believe that baptism has some degree. So repent and be baptized for forgiveness of sins. That's not, it's, it's just bad wording. And, and God wasn't like, oh crap, I made a mistake. No, it, what he's saying there is only in, 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 in true regenerative work of the Holy Spirit are you saved. Um, baptism, so there's people right now that aren't baptized, they're going to be in heaven. The thief on the cross, beautiful picture there. Um, so baptism is not a part of salvation. At the same time, what baptism is, is two of the, the ordinance he gave to the church, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And what baptism is supposed to show is I've died to sin, and by the power and the beautiful grace of God, I've been resurrected to a new life. So just know that I want to clarify that for, forgiveness of sins is not dependent upon baptism. He says, those who received the word were baptized. They were added to the church, about 3,000 souls. So all of this just shows us Jesus is Messiah and Savior. His life, death, resurrection, and ascension are now being revealed as God's plan for providing salvation in Jesus alone. First time they're putting all that together. It's going to be the foundation of the church. The Spirit is now indwelling and empowering Jesus' people for the proclamation of the gospel. The Spirit's going to come on you and empower for bold proclamation of the gospel to the end of the age. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward heart change of transformation and love. And all of this are huge pillars of orthodoxy for the church for 2,000 years. We still are banking on these things. So again, class at the beginning how do you grow a successful church? God just showed us this is what a successful church is. This is what a faithful church is. This is what faithful followers. And think through it. What, what did Peter and the other 11 guys do? What have we done? Nothing. God did every bit of this just powerfully. You couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. God did all this out of his just beautiful mercy and grace. So in closing, just wanted you to see that the event that happened there, the explanation, beautiful explanation that, that Peter used there with Joel and, and David, and then the result. And so for us to walk away with some questions there, how are you with relying on the Spirit as you obediently live a faithful life of gospel witness? Are, are you more working yourself up to try to be better? I got to be bolder. I got to go do these things. Or is there this rest and trust that I want to be a faithful presence? Do I have to argue and fight with them? Do I have to win the argument and say this on Facebook and fa say this on Instagram? Faithful, humility, gospel witness. Just, just want to be that type of person and trust that the Spirit changes them, not me slapping them in the face. How, how are priorities in your life? Is, is there more busyness and hobbies and entertainment and, and sports filling your schedule than faithfulness in your witness? Are you a faithful witness when you get the chance? 
Um, and then also just for people that maybe say, I, I don't know where I'm at with Christ. Have you been cut to the heart by what Christ has done for you? Have you received this conviction from the Spirit? Just like that crowd today, there were some people who walked away. You have to, you have to look at this every time. He just brought up the day of the Lord is coming. Anytime he could come back, you either respond with rejecting that, I'm going to live for what I want to live for. And I, I know this stuff. I hear this stuff about God, but I'm going to live for what I want to live for. You reject it or you respond in repentance. And that's what he shows us here. That's, that's the way of the church. You either respond or reject the salvation. And then thinking through, are you living out ongoing repentance and faith as a witness for him? Do you have a clear testimony and witness to what Jesus has accomplished in your life, which is one of the most powerful things. So as Brad comes up, I want you to think through those things. Think through um, us asking the Lord to, to bring more of the Spirit for our own lives, our own sanctification, a more holy group, not so we can be proud, but so that we can love each other better, uh, fulfilling the great commandment, loving the Lord your God and loving one another better. Not because we're better, not because we've now got better rules. No, because of his grace, the Holy Spirit. Would you make us a more holy, more loving, more hospitable, more a transparent group? And then also, would you give us more desire to see people saved, people around our lives brought in? Holy Spirit, would you do more work around us? So let me pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful picture in Acts. We, what, a, what a beautiful, rejoicing section of Scripture. All the Old Testament building this point, and then you with a smile on your face. Jesus ascended, smiling down this beautiful situation, sending the Spirit. The works of God are proclaimed. All these different people here, but then they ask, what in the world's going on? And Peter tells them it's all about Christ. It's all about the work that the Father accomplished through the Son's obedience and death and resurrection that the Spirit's now applying. What a beautiful, mysterious plan. We can't understand it all, but God, would you help us just to take one step in faith, one step in greater affections to truly um, evaluate where our hearts are at? We thank you for this beautiful picture in Acts. We do pray for more of the Spirit to come. It's for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.